Well, this morning we are going to finish our very short series. It's only four weeks. Originally it was planned to be a little bit longer, but things came up, and so we had to put it into four weeks of this series called, Who Am I Really Unpacking Humanity? And the reason this is so important is because sometimes we get our identity. When we think about who we really are, we get our identity all mixed up. We get our identity confused. We think our identity is what we do for a living. And that's, by the way, one of the first questions we normally ask people. Hey, what do you do? And that's okay, but it doesn't really tell us that much about who you really are. Or we get our identity wrapped up in what country we live in. I am an American. Well, I am, but is that really my identity? Quite honestly, it's the place I live, but I don't know that it's my identity. Or the political party that you join. Or the ethnic group that you're part of. That's who I am. And I would say probably that's not really who you are. You're so much more than that. See, this is what is true. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Our real identity, our true self, is not our ethnic group. It's not the country we live in. It is not our political party. It's not our nationality or career. Our true identity can only be found in Jesus Christ. It's who we are in Jesus. That's who we really are. That's who we will take with us for all eternity. It's not my ethnic group. It's not my political party. It's not my nationality. All of that will be left here. Who I am in Jesus Ah, that sticks with me for all eternity because that's who I really am. And here's what we've learned so far. First of all, I am the beloved, called and gifted for a great work. This is what Scripture says. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled in us to be the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. I am the beloved, called and gifted for a great work. That's first and foremost who I am before I was created, before you were created, before the world was created. God knew your name. And he said, you know what? I'm going to love that person. I'm going to create them just so I can love them. And that's who you are. And then not only did he just create you to love you, he also called you. He knows your name and has set you apart for some great work on this planet. And he's given you all the gifting you need to get it done. You are here for a purpose. There's a reason to your existence. You're not just floating around waiting until you die. God has created you to love you and has called you to something phenomenal. You just got to find out what it is and then do it. Second, I'm, not only am I the beloved called and gifted for a great work, but I am broken. But I can be better. 
Now, this one is pretty easy for you. We can look back and realize we're broken. We're broken in our mind. We're broken in our body. We're broken in our spirit. We don't work, operate, or think the way that we were originally created to do. We have a whole series coming up on that this summer. We're going to talk about the, the works of God in uh, the story of God in, in six acts. We're going to start with, with Genesis and move all the way through the six different time frames, the six different acts of God that explain how he works and who we are. That's coming up in the middle of the summer. We were created to be different than we are. We're broken because of sin, because of a broken relationship with him. So we don't think the way we should, our bodies don't operate the way they should, and even our spirits are broken. But the good news is this, in Jesus Christ, we can be better. In Jesus Christ, we can move towards healing. In Jesus Christ, we cannot be perfected in this life, but we can be a whole lot better than we were. And then there's the ultimate promise that one day when we move into the next life, there is perfection. That's coming. We go back to what God had originally intended. So, last week we looked at this. I am a target, but I'm protected. I'm a target. One of the reasons we go through the struggles that we go through is the mere fact that there is an enemy out there. As we believe strongly in the presence of God, we also believe in the presence of evil. Now, they're not even close to the same strength. Don't, don't get that kind of there's an actual religion out there called Zoroastrianism. Please be impressed that I know that. And it talked about a, an equal evil and an, an equal good, and they were warning on nah, nah, nonsense, nonsense. Satan isn't even close to the power of God, but he can really cause us damage, usually through his lies. He lies to us, and we believe those lies. He targets us all the time. But here's the, here's the good news. Remember, I'm protected. Satan does not have free reign in my life. He is a mad dog on a strong leash. He can go only so far and no farther. He can only go so far in my life as God will allow him. Sometimes, for whatever reason, God allows him to get really close and scares me to death. Most of the time, he has this great protection around me. But whatever it is, in my life, Satan does not have free reign or free will. He can't do with me anything he wants. He has to get God's permission first. My father's in control, and he does that because that's how I get strong. If my father made everything easy in my life, I would be just as weak and pathetic as if I made everything easy for my kids' lives and they never had to do anything. I want my kids to be strong. He wants me to be strong. And so he allows Satan to get kind of close every now and then. But I'm protected. So what Scripture says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face, okay? Don't think you're special. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be punished beyond past your limit. He will always be there to help you come through it. We are a target, but we are protected. Now, here we go to finish this whole series. There's a lot more to be said about this, but we'll stop right here today. I am also the image of God. Now, I want you to understand, I didn't say that I am God, okay? You are in the image of God. That doesn't mean you are God. But we're in the image of God. Take a look at this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Let's see if we can put this, what that means. And now we're going to really explore what the image of God really means and how you find it. But uh, have you ever been to one of the major parks or a museum and you've seen a statue? I mean, 
of maybe one of the great personages of the past. Um, we've seen, we've been to Washington, D.C., we've seen statues of all the presidents. Uh, we've been to London a couple times. We're going back here in just a little while, and we see a statue. There's a statue in one of the parks in, uh, in London of Winston Churchill, and it's a special statue. If you look, you'll discover that there's absolutely no pigeon droppings on that particular statue. Do you know how they do that? They run a mild electric current through this whole statue so that pigeons won't land on him because they don't want droppings on Winston Churchill. But this statue is in the image of Winston Churchill. That's his image. When I want to see what Winston Churchill kind of looked like, I can look at that statue because it was created in the image of Winston Churchill. You were created in the image of God. Does that mean that God looks like you? Of course not, because God is spirit. He doesn't look like you. So what do we mean when we say in the image of God, you are the image of God here on earth? Well, the image of God can best be described, it can be found in a single biblical word. That single biblical word is the word good. Good. Okay? Take a look at this passage. God saw all that he had made. It was just after he created people. And it was, okay, he used the word very. He liked that particular adjective. Everything else, he just used the word God. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. When God created the world, it was good. When God created you, you were good. Everything about the image of God is good. Do you ever look at humanity and get sick to your stomach? People, I couldn't believe this. I was reading about it the other day. People, thieves, they, they, they go through the newspaper and they look for death announcements and they chart the day of the funeral. And while the family's off at the funeral morning, these thieves break into their home and steal their belongings. That's sick. That's just sick. Did you know that there was enough food on this planet to feed every single person? Every single one. Have you seen pictures of starving children? Millions of them. Millions of them. In fact, the stats tell us that we probably lose about 23 million children a year to starvation, which means that about every single night, about 20,000 children starve to death. Why don't they have food? It's there. We have it. We could grow it. Why don't they have it? Because they're political idiots in the world who use this food as a way to control. Even when we try to deliver the foodstuffs, corrupt individuals take it, hold it, use it for their political will, or sell it for a profit somewhere else. Makes you sick. Child abuse and financial ripoffs, violence, sexual filth, all of that seems to permeate our world. That is not the image of God. That is humanity without Him. But there's another side, isn't there? See, if you look close enough, and sometimes you have to look really close, but if you look close enough, You'll see the good side of humanity, won't you? You'll see um, 
people who go above and beyond to help. You give kindness to a stranger or you receive it. It's almost unexpected. People who volunteer to, to help in the midst of a tragedy, who leave everything they have to, to go off and to help people who are hurting. You recognize these good times. You recognize this goodness in people because it, there's that strange, warm feeling when you see it, when you read about it, when you receive it. It's like it, it brings a tear to your eye. Like, man, that is just so good. You recognize these good times because they make you feel, they make you feel like there's hope. That is the image of God. That's God in us. And that is what God is like. You see, what we mean by the image of God is this. In the best of humanity, you see the very face of God. Did you think the very best of humanity was our own idea? Do you think that the very best of humanity is something that we came up with? There's something inside of us that knows we should be that, but when we can do it, when we see it, when it happens, it is the image of God here on earth. That's what we mean by the image of God. Goodness. In the best of humanity, we see the very... Now, that's why Jesus said this. Look, you're the light of the world. A city in the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and know that you're a really good person. No. Where does the praise go? That they may praise your Father. Why? Because when they see these good deeds, when you're doing those things, when you receive them, it's the image of God created in you. And God gets the glory. And that image is alive and well in you, if you want it to be. See, that's something we have to learn to do, to express. You want to know what God is like? You watch for the goodness of God. In fact, if you want to know some things about God... Look for the goodness in the world. Look for the goodness in humanity. When you see something that's good, you go, man, that's good. What you're really saying is God is like that. I'm seeing the goodness of God shine through humanity. Now, why don't we see it more and more? Well, you tell me, why don't we see the image of God more in humanity? Because we're broken, right? Because of sin. Because we're targets. And because we're attacked. And the goodness doesn't always shine through. But when it does, it's not us. It's the image of God. You were created in the image. You were created for goodness. You were created for good works. You were created to do something phenomenal. Even for your next door neighbor. And when you do those things, when the goodness of of God, you are showing the image of God here on earth. We call it the Imago Dei. There's some churches that are called that because they're really focused on just letting the image of God shine through the church. Now today, a very special day, obviously, it's it's mothers. And so I was thinking, we see the goodness of God. And when you see what is good and right, what you're really seeing is the goodness and the image of God. And we can talk about fathers. But you know what? Let's talk how God reveals himself through moms. Because through the goodness of moms, we learn a few things about God. This is what we know about God because of what is good 
in moms. And moms are different than us. I mean, it's just, that's the way it works. Let's try this one, all right? Ready? God is tender. How do I know that? Because I see the women in the church, and they tend to be more tender than the men. And it's good. And it brings a tear to my eye when I see that tenderness. And I say, you know what? That's the image of God in a mom. When I wanted tender compassion when I was growing up, I didn't go to my dad. I went to my mom. Now, I like my dad, but tender compassion didn't quite go with my father's personality. But it did with my mom. Scripture says this, but you, O God, are both tender and kind, not easily angered, immense in love, and you never, never quit. Boy, when I read that, I think of moms. And moms, did you think you did that on your own? Did you think you were this way because, well, because you were? You're this way because you're in the image of God. God created male and female. His image is seen in male. Now, you're going to see different images of God in the male than you will in the female. I don't mean physically. Moms, you were created this way. And when you live out this tenderness, when you live out this caring, when you live out this immense love, you're just showing everybody the image of God. Letting it shine within you. How about this? From watching moms, I can tell you that God is caring. Quite often, moms care more than dads. When I got a boo-boo, my dad would just tell me to man up, you know. Unless I was bleeding, you know, if it's just a little scraped knee or something, you know, good grief. Mom, oh no, no, she cared. She, do you remember, anybody remember the comedian Bill Cosby? I mean, he's still around, but he just doesn't do the... I grew up with the, co- the comedy of Bill Cosby in the 60s. I used to listen to his albums. I, I loved one of his stories. He talked about monsters in your room when you were a little kid. Any of you ever have monsters in your room, you know? And it's made, if you had to go into the cover to protect yourself from the monsters. But there was a better way to do that. If you thought there were monsters in your room, you called out, Mom, monsters! And she would come in and say, Get out of here! And the monsters would go away. But if you said, Dad, monsters! He'd say, Let them eat you up. Moms care. I mean, they care. Dads are really good at solving problems. That's what they tend to do. But they don't show the care quite often that moms do. Let me show you the care of God in your life right here. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. God cares about your smallest boo-boo. He cares everything that happens to you. If it concerns you, it concerns Him. He wants to hear about it. It matters to Him. And how do I know that? Because it matters to moms. And moms have been created in the image of God. God cares. What's happened to you this week? God cares. And I I don't mean just the big, I mean the little things. The the things that just, I mean, you ran out of toothpaste. Oh my word. 
You know what? God cares about that. Are you bothered about something? God wants to hear about it. You can take it right to him. He loves you so much. He cares about everything that's going on. One more thing that I know about God because of watching moms. The image of God is, it shines through moms. God is sacrificial. He's willing to sacrifice for me. Now, I'm not saying that dads don't sacrifice. They do. And maybe when we get to Father's Day, we'll talk about a few of those things. But, man, what women are willing to give up to be a mom. If, if men had to go through what women go through, the population of the earth would be a lot smaller. <laughs> what you give up just to be, and then what you give up when you are a mom. It doesn't matter whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you've given up a career or whether you work outside the home and you, you give and you sacrifice and you invest so much more of yourself. Again, men have that tendency to be more instructive and, and there's great things about men one can talk all about, but it's what I see in moms that teaches me something about God. And my mind goes back to, uh, oh, I hate to say this, about half a century ago, 50 years. I'm 58, so you do the math, all right? And all that my mom sacrificed for us. One evening, um, my mom was a very quirky person, by the way. She's gone. She's been gone now for ooh, 18 years or so. But she was quirky. Let's put it that way. Uh, for instance, we didn't have a lot of food in the house growing up. Now, it wasn't because we didn't have any money. My father made very, very good money. He was an uh, electronic engineer in the aerospace age, and he made a lot of money. But my mom, other than a few snacks, things like that, didn't do shopping. And what would happen is she would say to me every evening, well, let's have this for dinner. And she'd write out a, a check. She would sign it. And I would jump on my bike, and I would ride up to the Sunrise Market on the corner of Arrow Highway and Bonnie Cove, and I would buy stuff for dinner and bring it back, and we'd have dinner every day. That's what we did. So we didn't have a lot of dinner food in the house. That's just my mom. One evening, we got the special treat. Because the special treat wasn't me going up to the store. It was when we all jumped in the car. My dad came home. We jumped in the car. And we, we drove to, to Sunrise Market as a family. And we went into the frozen aisle. And we all got to pick this great new thing. It was just wonderful. It was called a TV dinner. Those were special nights. Because you each got to choose exactly what you wanted. Then you go home and, and you bake it in the oven, because there's no such thing as microwaves. And then we would go in and we'd watch our wonderful black and white TV and watch the Adams family or something like that together while we all ate our TV dinners. And it didn't matter if the peas were in the apple cobbler, you know, that just happened. That's just the way it was. But it was so special. And I remember we did this, we went out and we got them. I don't even know what I got my favorite. But of course, you can't carry a hot TV dinner with you. It'd burn your hands. So you put it on a plate and you carry it. But I'm also eight years old. And so as an eight-year-old, I'm kind of bouncing around really excited because I want to watch the Adams Family with my family. And I've got this great TV dinner. What a special night it's going to be. But one thing about TV dinners, that aluminum on a plate, what is it? Pretty slippery. And as I'm bouncing around, 
my TV dinner goes on the ground. I'm devastated as an eight-year-old for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted that TV dinner. But number two, I just, I was a little kid and I knew it, I blew it. I hate that. Now I have no dinner. I've done something stupid. Guess who went without dinner that night? Mom. Suddenly, she wasn't very hungry. And I don't remember what she had, but it wasn't much, because like I said, we didn't have much. And while I appreciated all that she did, I do remember that that TV dinner didn't taste quite as good as the one I'd chosen just because I knew my mom was hungry. It taught me something not about moms, but about God. For she was created in His image. And I know that my father loves me so much that he's willing to sacrifice for me. And I know that because I saw it in the goodness of my mother. This is what scripture says. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sin and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. And then he adds, my dear friends, if God so loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another. See, I've got a bigger problem than a TV dinner dropped on the ground. I hadn't messed up just a TV dinner. I'd messed up my life. And it was broken. Trampled on the ground. I was going directions that would have put me in prison. Some of the friends that I I walked with didn't change that life and they died within just a few years of some of the stupid things we were doing. And there was no way to clean it up. can't do that on my own. But my father sacrificed for me. He didn't give me his TV dinner. He gave me his son. He said, look, he'll pay the price for you. Now, when I was eating that TV dinner, I felt a little bad because, after all, my mom was going without. When I take this gift from Jesus Christ, there is a time I feel real bad because I know that he hung on that cross so that I could have this new life. But I now look at that and I just eat up that new life like this to say, thank you, Jesus, because you sacrificed for me. Now, When did I learn all of that? I didn't learn that for another seven, eight years. 
It was seven or eight years before I finally got into church and found out exactly how far God had sacrificed. But you know where I first learned about sacrificial love? From my mom. Because she was in the image of God. And she had all the problems that human beings have. But every now and then, that image shone through. And God touched me and taught me through my mom. So ladies, what we want to say to you is this. Thanks moms and thanks ladies for showing us the love of our Heavenly Father. For when you are at your best, and we understand that sometimes you're not, it's okay. When you are at your best, it isn't you at all. It's the image of God shining through. And we say thank you and thanks be to God. Now just 